But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Uh, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. For one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, uh, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those uh, who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of, ma- of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. Uh, When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord's not the Lord is not in vain. Thanks, Hamo. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Neil, and uh, it's, I add my welcome to you tonight, as well as to Ross's, and especially to all the HSC students about to get underway. It's fantastic that uh, you're all here tonight. I'm just going to lead us in prayer as we start to think about this wonderful part of the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much that you've brought us here tonight, each one of us. And thank you that you've spoken to us through your apostle, Paul, and written it down and preserved it for us to read tonight. Please help me to speak clearly and helpfully from it so that uh, uh, you can work in our hearts and in our lives so that we might look forward to the great victory that you've already won for us in Jesus, in the resurrection of the dead. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, what's going to happen after the HSC? Holidays? Yep. Maybe some will get a job. Maybe some will uh, start getting excited about uni. But what about the rest of life? What, uh, what's going to unfold for these people? And it's not just these people. These people. And these, these people. Uh, all of us, in one sense, tonight are at the start of the rest of our lives, aren't we? 
Uh, whether we're doing the HSC or whether we've already done it or whether it's still lying ahead, I can see some people here who are not yet in year 12. Uh, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? What do we really need to know as we think about, as we think ahead to our lives? Uh, what do we need to know? What knowledge will help us to be happy, to be successful, to live a life of meaning and purpose that is worthwhile? Well, here's what one very smart man once said. There he is, Steve Jobs. And uh, you probably know him, founder of Apple Computers, the MacBook, the uh, iPad, the iPhone, and so on. Probably not many people has uh, had such an impact on the world as what he did. Back in 2005, uh, he gave a famous speech at a university graduation as the students were going out from their studies into the world. Uh, He was answering the question, what do you need to know? What's the really important things that these university students need to know as they go out into the big, wide world? And this is what he said. Are you ready for it? It's a bit of a shock. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die uh, to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. What he was saying was... The most important thing that you need to know to be successful in life is that we're all going to die. Now, this is not something that we uh, like to talk about or think about too much, is it? This is something we'd say, oh, no, 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 put that aside. But this is what Steve Jobs said is the key to a successful life. Reality. I mean, we are all going to die, aren't we? And surely living in this world in light of reality is going to go well for us. But his point was that if you know that your days are numbered, then you're going to make the most of every day that you've got. You will think, how can I uh, be focused and appreciate the opportunities that this day presents? You won't fritter away the time. You won't waste it on trivial things that don't matter. It is a powerful thought, isn't it? And uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what he says. We only get one life and we know we're going to die But actually, I wonder what you think about that. Is that right? I want to put it to you that I think uh, he was actually wrong. That is true as far as it goes for this life. But there's something even more important that we need to know. Yes, we will all die. But according to God, we will all also one day rise again. You see how you can see even there where I think Jobs gets it wrong. Uh, Here it is, see at the end there? He's talking about death is the destination we all share. Then he says, no one has ever escaped it. But there is someone who has escaped death, isn't there? Jesus was dead. And then on the third day, he rose again. And because he did that, Our Bible passage that uh, we've just read says that one day a trumpet will sound. And on that day, Jesus will return and all the dead will be raised. Now, if that is true, then it changes everything. Death is not our ultimate destination. It's just a, a gate that we go through along the way, a rest stop on the way into eternity. There's another man who uh, had a message 
for how to live life. Some of you, many of you will have heard of him, some may not have. This man was a drunk and he was involved in prostitution. He was kind of living on the streets in Sydney. But he walked into a church one night and uh, he heard a message about eternity. And he spent the rest of his days going around in the very early morning so no one would see him, preaching a message to Sydney. Here he is, his name's Arthur Stace, and he went around writing eternity, 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 again and again and again and again, because he knew that this is the most important thing we need to know if we want to be successful in life. Eternity. Not just that we will die, like Jobs knew, and we all know, but that we will also be raised. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been reading this chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, three weeks on one chapter. And it's all about this final resurrection of the dead. Some people in the city of Corinth were saying, nah, there's no resurrection of the dead. We've got it all now. This is all there is. And Paul, who wrote this letter, has been arguing, yes, it really is true. It really will happen. We know that because Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, according to God's plan and promise, one day we too will be raised. He saw last week, he is the first fruits of the resurrection, guaranteeing that the rest is going to come. Now, um, uh, if you want to uh, look further into that, I commend to you going back and reading through the first 34 verses of 1 Corinthians or watch the talks on our uh, YouTube channel. Uh, You can catch up on that. But tonight, as we come to the last part of this great chapter, we see three things about this resurrection that we need to know. Three things that will change how we live in this life. Number one, God can and will do it. He will raise the dead. Number two, this is the greatest victory of all. And number three, this changes everything. So, first up, God can and will do it. This is verses 35 to 49. You can see there in your Bibles, hopefully you've still got it open, verse 35, uh, two questions are asked. Uh, perhaps hypothetical. Perhaps Paul knew that people in Corinth were asking, were asking this question. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Now, this is a question that uh, Christians often ask. If we're raised from the dead, what will our bodies be like? How old will we be? Will we be 18? Will we be 30? Will we be in the prime of life like me, 59? How old will we be? Will it be like when we die? Whatever age we are when we die, that's how we'll be raised. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Uh, What will we be like? Will uh, our chipped tooth be restored? Or the scars? Will we still have scars or will they be gone? What kind of hair will we have? Uh, will we have a full head of hair? Will it be blonde, black, brown? Uh, what, what if we die and our hair is uh, dyed, D-I-E, and our hair has been dyed, D-Y-E-D? What colour will it be in the resurrection? All these questions. Will there be chocolate there that we can enjoy? Will there be beaches? Uh, what, will there be sports? Will we get tired? There's a hundred questions that we might want to know the answer to. And there's good questions for curious people to ask. But some questions are asked that are not always just being curious. Sometimes you can ask a question that's really having a go and uh, being a bit aggressive, and I think that's what these questions are like. 
How are the dead raised? What a joke. Is that really possible? What kind of body will they have when they come? Ha, if you can answer that. I think that's uh, the, the, the tone of these questions. And maybe that's why he answers it. The first word is, uh, verse 36, you fool. You fool. Now, I don't think he's saying you fool because he thinks the Corinthians aren't, or this hypothetical someone, isn't smart enough to understand about the resurrection. Uh, Because I don't think it's a matter of intellectual capacity. In the Bible, the wise person is the person who knows that there's God and fears him and trusts him. And the fool is the person who says in their heart there is no God. You see, I think this person is called a fool because they're not knowing what God is capable of. The God who made the whole universe. He can raise the dead. And so our first point is that God can and will do it. He, uh, he goes on and he starts arguing this by uh, some illustrations. Firstly, from botany. Uh, biology maybe at HSC, I'm not sure what it is, but it's about plants. And uh, this is the argument, he says, that you get a little seed, a watermelon seed, say, you plant it in the ground, it dies, and then a beautiful big vine comes up, if you're a good gardener, probably wouldn't for me, and massive plants. And so incredible transformation that God does with that seed. God knows what he's doing with bodies. And he can transform a seed planted in the ground to a luscious green plant that bears fruit. God can do that. And God is pretty good making different kinds of bodies as well. Just what is needed for each environment. That's what he goes on to say there in the next couple of verses. He says there's people, there are animals, there are birds, there are fish, all different kinds of bodies. My body will not go well living like a fish. Maybe half an hour I'll survive if the water's warm enough, but I get all crinkled and wrinkled and I can't do more than half an hour, let alone swimming around for my whole life in the water and trying to breathe. I can't fly through the air, but neither can a fish drive a car. Each body is made by God for its, differently for its own environment. God knows what he's doing with bodies. And not just down here, up there as well. There's the sun, there's the moon, there are the stars. All different degrees of brightness. God made all of them for their own purpose. This is, uh, this is what God can do. And uh, he can make bodies just the way he wants them to be. He made everything. He can raise the dead and equip them and fit them out for eternity. Don't worry that this body is weak and uh, decaying and ageing and bagging and sagging. God can totally transform it. And so what he says in verse 42, he says, this is what God can do with the, uh, in the sky and with the animals and with the plants uh, and so too with the resurrection of the dead, he says, verse 42. And then he goes through a whole list of contrasts between the body in this life and the body that God's going to make it. And here's the, uh, the contrasts. It's sown, uh, it uses the language here of corruptible, but I think it's actually the idea of, of perishing. It's perishable. It's going to decay, uh, corrupt in that physical sense, not so much in a moral sense. Uh, it, we die in dishonour. We are not very glorious when we are weak and can hardly breathe and need to be toileted in bed and smelly and we die in dishonour. We are weak. We have a natural life. 
life for all of us in this world is uh, like Adam. He was formed from the dust of the earth. God breathed into him the breath of life, a human soul, and he lives for a time and then he dies. And so like Adam, we are from the dust of the earth. We are mortal. We all die. But that's the body that's sown in the ground. The body that's raised will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, because it will be enlivened by the spirit of God, not by a human soul, suitable to last forever. It will be like Jesus, the man from heaven, not like Adam, the man from earth. And we will be immortal. We will never die again. So this is the promise of God. Based on what he can do with bodies, this is what he will do with our bodies. And uh, uh, we will be transformed like Jesus, alive forever and ever. This is not just a fairy story. It's not just wishful thinking so that we won't be scared about dying. This is reality. This is God's promise. He can do it and he will do it. Now, what kind of hair will we have when we're imperishable, glorious, powerful, etc.? It doesn't tell us, does it? They're the questions we might have, but they're not the uh, answers that uh, Paul gives. All we know is that it will be brilliant. It'll be better than our minds can currently cope with. It'll be so good because, and here's the second thing we need to know about this resurrection, it will be the greatest victory of all. We all like to celebrate uh, victories. Uh, Here's some people celebrating from last weekend. Penrith Panthers, biggest comeback win in a grand final ever. And uh, they, uh, they are celebrating a great victory. Well, how about this one? The Mighty Matildas. This was from their win over France in where they had that penalty shootout that went on and on and on. And finally, they won and we all celebrated with them. Uh, here's one. I don't know if there's anyone here who was alive when this one happened. I'm not seeing anyone around the room. But maybe people in history uh, have read about this. Uh, the end of the Second World War. After, what, six years of war that uh, we'd been through, it was announced that we had victory, finally. And people were dancing in the streets of our cities in Australia. Maybe you've had other great victories spring to your mind. Your soccer team last year. Or, uh, you know, uh, maybe, you got your, maybe you got your teenage kids to study for the HSC ahead of time. Fantastic. Whatever it is, you've won a victory. But we're not just hearing about any victory tonight. We are hearing about the greatest victory of all. The greatest victory of all. That's what it says in verses 50 to 57. And uh, here is the climax of that. Verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't even have to win it ourselves. Jesus has won it for us and he gives it to us. He shares it with us. That is fantastic. So what victory is this? Well, it's talking about victory over our biggest enemy, the one Steve Jobs talked about, death. That's what the victory is. We know that death is very sad. It steals precious people from us. It brings untold grief to families everywhere. 
Uh, it's, and it's not just when it happens. Even before we die, the cold, slimy tentacles of death reach back into our lives. The process starts when we're very young. Here's the process of our lives. You can work out where you are on that, uh, that timeline. But this is reality, isn't it? Uh, we start very young, we grow bigger and stronger, and uh, maybe we peak. When do we peak? I don't know, maybe you think you're peaking right now. 21, maybe, somewhere around there. And it's all downhill after that. What happens? Let me tell you, young people, this is what happens. Aches and pains start to come. We get more and more tired. You can't stay up as late as you used to. You can't eat as much as you used to. That's a blow, isn't it, older people? Oh, I used to love eating a whole pizza. I can't do that anymore. That was when I was young. Um, and then uh, we, uh, we creak, we groan, we wear out. Sickness comes to us. And in the end, we die. We take our last breath. And you know what? Even that is not the worst of it. That is a tragedy. It's horrible. But it's not the worst of it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes things get so bad in our lives that we almost long for death to come. Whether it's in us who's suffering or someone that we love that we're caring for because it feels like a relief from the suffering of this world. But we need to be careful there. Because death itself is not on its own. Death has two henchmen. That's what we read about uh, in uh, this verse, verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The thing that makes death really painful is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Now, you might have expected it to say the other way. The sting of sin is death. Because sin, the wage of sin is death. Sin leads to death. But it doesn't say that. It says it the other way around. The sting of death is sin. That's the worst thing about death. You see, after we die, we stand before God and give an account for our lives. And none of us are perfect, are we? As we uh, said before, when we confessed our sins, we all sometimes say no to God, we ignore him, we rebel against him, we just want to go our own way. And the law of God, which is the power of sin, says sin must be punished and it condemns us. Unless our sin has been forgiven, our sin means that we will be cut off from God, the source of life and all that is good. So death is our great enemy, and it has these two henchmen, sin and the law. But here's the wonderful news. Jesus has come. Jesus has come on our behalf, and he has conquered these enemies. He didn't sin like we do. He never did. But still he died. He was cut off from God to pay the penalty for you and for me so that we can be forgiven. Not because we deserve it, but out of his love as a free gift. He has conquered sin and the law. And he's willing to share it with us. 
And not only that, but God raised him from the dead. He has actually conquered death. And so now anyone who turns to God and asks him, on the basis of what Jesus has done, receives forgiveness and new life that starts now and in the resurrection will go on for eternity. Wherever we are, however long we've been dead, whatever's happened to our physical remains, God will raise us and give us brand new bodies. And then we'll be able to say these words, death has been swallowed up in victory. God, through Jesus Christ, has gobbled up death, that great enemy that strikes us all and keeps us weighed down and is responsible for so much pain and suffering in our lives and in our world, we'll be able to say, yay, God has won a great victory. And we'll even be able to laugh at death, taunt it. Where, death, is your victory now? Where are you now, death? Where is your sting now? You have been defeated. You have been, you have lost the battle. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greatest victory of all. Do you see it? So here is what we need to know. Now, there is a resurrection. There is more to life than this world. God can and God will raise you and me from the dead. And Jesus has won and shares with us the greatest victory of all. And this changes everything. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know this is where we've kind of ended up uh, in the last two weeks as well. But we get the chance this week to look at the last verse, the conclusion of this whole great chapter, verse 58, where uh, we learn that it changes everything. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So uh, how does this resurrection of the dead change things for those of us who are looking forward to the rest of our lives? HSC students or otherwise. Yes, Steve Jobs is right. If we want to live a wise and successful life, we have to know that our time is numbered. We are, our days are numbered. Our time is limited. We are going to die. Don't ignore that because it will help you to be focused and make the most of your time. But even more importantly, we need to know that there is a resurrection and a life to come. And uh, this verse spells out two implications for us. First, the bit in purple there, it means that there is nothing more important in this life than starting and continuing to trust in Jesus so that you will share in his great victory. You see, when there's a great victory, the winners celebrate and cheer. But it's only those who, who really belong to the winner who can... Uh, truly celebrate. So when the Matildas won, most of us were able to celebrate with great joy because, well, we're Aussies and they're the Australian team. They belong to us. We belong to them. And so when they won, they won on our behalf. And so we could all say, yay, we won. But if you lived in another country, maybe you lived in Mongolia or something, 
Uh, maybe you were watching on TV and you go, oh, that's interesting. I'm happy for them. You were just kind of spectating on that victory. And uh, you might have got even a bit excited to see it happen. But you're not the same as us who, uh, who actually share the victory. Jesus has won a great victory. And he shares it with those who are connected to him. Those who belong to him. See, when we, uh, we know from other parts of the Bible that uh, when we are raised from the dead and we all stand and give an account of our lives, it's really like the ultimate exam. Only the good news is we know the question already. Uh, we don't really have to study up for it and memorise stuff like the quotes for the English exam. It's not really a question about what we know, but who we know. The question is, do you know Jesus? Or perhaps even better, does Jesus know you? That's the question that's going to determine your eternal destiny. There are no more important things to get right in your life than getting right, not just what you know about Jesus, but what you've done with him, whether you've trusted and obeyed him. And so if someone here tonight doesn't yet uh, know Jesus, or if you're not sure, then can I really encourage you to look more into him? If this is true, if Jesus really rose from the dead so that one day we will rise from the dead, then will you really need to get right with him if you're going to share in the victory that he has won for you? Please keep coming. Look into it. Come and talk to someone. Ask any questions you like because uh, we want to help you. But this letter is actually written to Christians who are in danger of giving up on the resurrection. And Paul, therefore, he calls them brothers and sisters. He's, he's pleading with them. He loves them. He says, be steadfast and immovable. Don't give up the faith. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. Don't ever stop clinging to Jesus. So many people start off in the Christian life, but then perhaps other things come up in the world or whatever, and so just slowly but surely they stop and they give up on Jesus, which means they give up on eternity in God's kingdom. What a poor exchange. A few years of life in this world, apart from Jesus, swapped for eternity with God, enjoying his blessing forever. Wow, that is a poor swap. Brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. As you make your decisions in life, make sure that this is the number one priority for you. Don't say, I'll go and take this job. I'll go and live this lifestyle. I'll go and do this. And then I'll, I'll keep believing in Jesus along the way, hopefully. No. You've got to say, what is going to help me to be steadfast and immovable so that I am trusting Jesus all of my days? You never know when your day is going to come when you die. Be steadfast and immovable. There is nothing more important than being known by Jesus for all eternity. The second implication uh, is in the next half of the verse, um, which is that uh, he says, aim to be this, always excelling in the Lord's work. 
because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Your service of Jesus, whatever form that takes, is incredibly valuable. It's never a waste of time. So we can have all kinds of ambitions for this life. We can, get into, we can aim to get rich. We can aim to get a lot of stuff, a lot of gadgets, a lot of toys, a lot of travel, have a good house, aim to have a good job that brings fulfilment, uh, that is interesting, maybe that serves the community. And all that is great, it's fantastic. There's only one problem, or one thing, this is Steve Jobs' wisdom again, here it is. You can't take it with you, can you? You're going to leave it behind. And pretty soon, you'll be forgotten. Don't invest your life in working for the things of this world that aren't going to last. Yeah, they'll last for a little while. You'll get some enjoyment along the way. But in the scope of things, they're not going to last. But there is something that will last. This is why this is the greatest thing we need to know, that there is a resurrection from the dead so that we will invest in the things that last beyond this life into eternity. Uh, Paul calls it the work of the Lord. Uh, It's the effort you put into knowing Jesus. It's every decision that you take to honour him. Not to go the way of the world or your own desires, but to go his way, to be obedient to him, to put him first in your life, to pray that his kingdom will come, to give yourself to helping others to know him and be in his kingdom, to build his church. You see, these things will last beyond this world forever. Last week, 60 people uh, served as part of our school holiday kids club. Fantastic. As they spoke the word about Jesus to those children, God was at work. And the effect of their faithfulness will last for all eternity. It was not a waste of time. We've got Tian Scott, we heard last week. She's been uh, teaching. She loves teaching, she told us. She's giving it up. Some people might say, well, what a waste that is. No, it's not a waste. Because she's giving it up to be able to spend her whole life doing the work of the Lord. And that is never in vain. And it's not just her. Next Monday night, we've got the opportunity to come and uh, share with her in that, supporting her in prayer and encouragement and in giving money, our hard-earned cash, to be able to enable her to be well-trained as we send her out. You come next Monday night and support Tian. And that work, that act of faithfulness, will last for all eternity. It is not in vain. Brothers and sisters... Always excel in the Lord's work because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Here's the bottom line. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that we want to know, that we need to know 